Take your Bibles and turn with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 5. In Revelation, chapter 5, we're going to find the church has been raptured and is now in heaven. There is a scene that we're going to read about, and if you are a child of God, you're going to be there. And you will hear these words, and you will be part of what God is going to do from that moment on, because I believe that each and every one of us as children of God, we're in training every day for reigning. Revelation chapter 5, starting with verse 9. Here's the new song they sang. You're going to sing that song along with the redeemed in heaven. You are worthy to take the scroll. What is this scroll anyway? Now, Bible theologians believe that the scroll contains the deed to planet Earth which had been forfeited by Adam in his sin. The second Adam, which is Jesus, listen to what happens next. You are worthy to take the scroll and break open its seals. You are worthy because you were put to death. With your blood, you bought people for God. They come from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them members of a royal family. You have made them priests to serve our God, and they will rule on the earth. Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 1 says this. This was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Look, a righteous king is coming. Guess who that is? A righteous king is coming, and honest princes will rule under him. Now, Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 1 is an incredibly insightful portion of prophetic scripture. The righteous king that is coming is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, which the Bible declares is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the honest princes that will rule under him is a clear reference to the redeemed that are following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now make no mistake about it this morning, Jesus Christ is returning one day soon to establish the worldwide kingdom of God. The central message that Jesus preached all throughout the Gospels was the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is coming, and one day the kingdom of God will rule over every single nation, whether great or small. And the one that will be ruling is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Now Jesus, however, will not rule over the nations or the inhabitants by himself, though he is fully capable. The Bible says he's going to give us a privileged role in all of that. We will rule, the Bible says, with him. Now with that in mind, we need to understand that God is at work in all of us right now. He's raising up his future leaders. The people of God are in training for reigning. Let's think about that in the sense of the royal family in the United Kingdom. In 1948, Queen Elizabeth II of Great Britain gave birth to her first son. His name was Charles. From the moment of his birth, Prince Charles was destined to become the monarch over the United Kingdom. From a child on, Charles began receiving all the necessary education and training to prepare him to one day be the King of England. 
The same process is now underway for Charles' firstborn son, Prince William, and Prince William's son, Prince George. Now, just as Prince Charles was born into England's reigning family, I want you to know this morning, you too, at salvation, you are born again into God's royal family. You're an heir of God, the Bible says, and you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You have been born again and into God's ruling family. Now you need to understand, just as a royal heir is prepared and trained for their future position, so are the children of God. The everyday Christian life here on this earth, I believe, is the training, leadership, and ruling for the kingdom of God that we we go through all of the what we go through here so that we might learn how to reign later on. It's everyday life is the training and the roles that we have here in this life are all given to us by God so that we might rule and reign later with him. Now the scriptures clearly bear this out because in Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 1 it says, look, a righteous king is coming and honest princes will rule under him. That is each and every one of us ruling under him. Look at Revelation chapter 5 verses 9 and 10 one more time. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall what? Reign where? On the earth. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 with me for a moment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we find the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Corinth. It was a a church that, rather than solving their own problems internally, they were turning to judges and turning to courts. They were filing lawsuits against one another. And here's what Paul writes to them. He says, when one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit? and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers. Don't you realize that someday we will be, don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you're going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. So what Paul says to him, he says, don't you understand, you are in training for reigning. And one day you're going to judge under the Christ. You're going to judge angels. You're going to judge the nations. You're going to have a part in all of this. And now, how are you living your lives out here? You're suing one another. You're going to Facebook, defaming one another. You're complaining, you're doing all of this. He said, these things ought not be. You should be able to solve them because one day God has a bigger plan for your life. And if you're going to fulfill that bigger plan, you need to learn it here and now. So I want you to consider with me then for the next few minutes, God's school of leadership training. Let's consider the curriculum. God's leadership training curriculum is comprised of everyday life. 
From the time you woke up this morning to the time you go to bed tonight, all day long is another day in the university of learning how to reign for Christ. It's how we treat our mates. It's how we treat our children. It's how we respond to our neighbors and how we treat our friends. It's how we respond in times of adversity, in times of trouble, in times of disappointment. It's how we handle the demotion at the job, but also the promotion at the job. It's how easily we find ourselves angered, whether or not we hold grudges, whether or not we seek revenge, how well we take advice, how well we give advice. What motivates us? What is it in life that discourages us? What is it that makes us laugh? What makes us cry? How easily are we swayed by friends and foes and the crowd round about us? It's how we handle our money that we realize that we're to be faithful stewards of what God has invested into us. It's as simple as, are we on time? Or are we late for everything in life? The classroom of everyday life is God's leadership training institute. All of God's great leaders, past and present, have all passed through, they've all gone through this university of training for reigning. Think about Abraham for a moment. The Bible talks about Abraham. He believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham was a man of great faith, but you know where that faith was tested? It was at Mount Moriah when he was asked to offer up his only begotten son. And we find there on Mount Moriah that faith became trust. And trust turned into truthfulness later on in his life. He was, you know, tempted to, to tell others that his wife Sarai was really his sister, so it would not, you know, have uh, someone try to kill him and take his wife away. And so he had to learn all of these things. It was all part of normal, everyday life for him, faith and trust and truthfulness. Or what about Moses? You know, Moses lived to be 120 years old. And in those 120 years, you can take his life, and it fits into three segments of 40, the first 40 years of his life. And the word 40, in number in Scripture, is rather important as well. The number 40 in Scripture always refers to a time or a season of testing. And so the first time of his testing, for Moses, the first 40 years, he was being trained to rule in the courts of Pharaoh. He lived in the palace. And then, as you well know, one day he saw an Egyptian that was beating one of the Israelites. He took it into his own hands. He killed, ultimately, that Egyptian and he found himself on the run. And now he spends the next 40 years, what the Bible says, on the backside of the desert. Now I can't imagine, I've been in some deserts in my life, including the Sinai and others in Egypt. And uh, let me tell you, they're desolate places. But the Bible says he was on the backside of the desert. I would say he was in a very difficult place. But on the backside of the desert, in those 40 years, he was learning what it would take to sustain life 
in a very harsh and difficult place. And remember what he's going to do next. The next 40 years he's going to be spending with the children of Israel, guess where? In the wilderness, leading them in the promises of God all the way to the promised land. And so the life of Moses then definitely goes through this school whereby he is trained to reign. Or think about King David for a moment. King David's education to rule began with an encounter with a lion and a bear. And when he stood before Goliath, now he's ready. He said, I, I took on a lion, I took on a bear, and I'm not afraid of you either. It all started with a lion and a bear. Or what about Daniel? His education included the lion's den. Or what about the Apostle Paul? He was trained by God, the Bible says, for three and a half years in the Arabian desert, being trained and taught by the Spirit, trained so that he might lead. I was thinking about a friend of mine, Vietnam veteran, Dave Reaver. He received his leadership education flat on his back for 14 months in an Army hospital burn center. While in Vietnam, a phosphorus grenade blew up, and as it caused the burns on his body, literally 60% of his body weight was burned away. Friends, let me ask you this morning, how are you dealing with everyday life? It could be that the very thing you disdain the most this morning is a vital part of God's curriculum for your leadership training. The thing that you'd say, enough is enough, and you want to walk away, if you stay, God may have a place for you in leadership in the future. And what you're being taught and trained in that moment is going to be invaluable, not only here, but ultimately for eternity. So what about, we have the curriculum. Curriculum is everyday life. It's how we respond in everything from the moment we get up. As we drive home today, it's the way that, you know, we get off the parking lot, whether the person ahead of us is not fast enough. It's when we get down to the light here, whether we're cut off, and maybe somebody goes through a red light and almost hits us. All of these things are part of how we were and how we are being trained for future leadership. So passing the leadership test, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 25 because there's uh, three individuals here that are in training and uh, let's find out how they do. Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 14. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, he gave two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their what? Their abilities. Then he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant 
to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver, came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, and now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had been, or the servant who had received the two bags of silver, came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you did not plant and gathering crops you did not cultivate. I was afraid that I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. And the master replied, you wicked and lazy servants, if you knew I harvested crops that I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even that little that they have will be taken away. Now, throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, there are three principal lessons to be learned from what we've just read. Lesson number one, one day every individual will be called to give an account for what they have done with what God has entrusted to them. The Bible says that all of us will stand one day before the judgment seat of Christ. And in that moment, the Bible says we will give an account for what we have done while in these mortal bodies, what we have done with the talents that God has given to us, with the privileges in life, all of these things, one day we're going to give an account. Secondly, in God's kingdom, you either use it or you lose it. Either you invest it or you lose it. And the Bible says that over and over there, Take from this one that has, you know, been lazy and dug a hole, put my money in the ground. Let him have nothing and give it to the one that has been faithful with the most. Give it to the one that has had the ten. In God's kingdom, then, either you use it or you lose it. Let me ask you, are you using the gifts, the talents? Are you using the resources? What are you doing with what God has invested in you? It's all part of training for leadership. And then thirdly, in God's kingdom, faithfulness leads to promotion. You'll find that every time you're faithful, faithful in little things, he said, I'll make you a ruler over many things. I'm going to give to you in proportion to the way you have dealt with what I've invested in you. In God's kingdom, then, faithfulness leads to promotion. In Luke chapter 22, 
I'm always uh, amused and uh, amazed both by the response of the disciples in the upper room on what is called the Last Supper. So Jesus now, he gathers with his disciples in the upper room. And this is all happening just prior to his crucifixion. It's only hours away. And Jesus said, I long to eat this Passover meal with you. And so he eats the Passover meal. And now near the end of the meal, while they're still all together in the upper room, there's something that breaks out in the room. Listen what it is. Luke chapter 22, starting with 24. And they began to argue amongst themselves. This is the disciples now. And I can only imagine Jesus saying, oh my, 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 my. I've spent three years with you guys. And now I'm just hours away from the conclusion of my earthly ministry. And here you are arguing amongst yourselves who is going to be the greatest. And they began to argue amongst themselves as to who would have the highest rank in the coming kingdom. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men order their slaves around, and the slaves have no choice but to like it. But among you, my followers, you, my, my apostles, my disciples, with me, but among you, the one who serves you the best will be your leader. We find Jesus giving a brand new definition of greatness. Greatness is not determined in the eyes of God by the number of people that serve us, but rather by how many people we serve. Jesus said, the one that serves you the best, he is the one that's going to be your leader. And so we find all throughout the scripture this theme. Look at it in Luke chapter 14, verse 11. It says, everyone who puts himself up in a high place will be brought down to a low place. And everyone who puts himself down in a low place will be brought up to a high place. And so the goal that Jesus was saying, you want to serve others in your leadership, you want to serve. In your servitude, I'm taking note. It's all part of the training. And in this training, I'm watching and I'm readying you for greater things than you could ever imagine. But if you are looking to be great, you might be less. But if you see yourself as someone that's humble and a servant of others, he said, I will exalt you to higher places. You know, Psalm 75 says it so succinctly. It talks about promotion. It says, promotion comes neither from the east nor from the west, but it comes from the Lord. That promotion you have has come from God. That promotion may be something on the job. And you are now in a position that is of higher responsibility, greater income and all of that, you might say, well, you know, I deserved it. I pushed hard for it. And I, I, you know, I, I, I. Ultimately, it was God, God, God. It may be the promotion you're saying, you know, I'm living in a house of my dreams. I was raised in the central city and, you know, just, we didn't have much. And I look and I see where God has brought us, brought my family. And your heart goes out to those that are still within, you know, the, the center city of, of corruption and crime and all that's going on. You're just saying, 
But I know it was God that brought me out. And I hear that consistently from so many. The Bible says then promotion, whatever that measurement of promotion may be, it did not come only because you're wise, smart, and hardworking. Because you can be all of these things and still be a failure. Promotion comes from the Lord. And I believe that we ought to, even right now, we had to pause for a moment and just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. Thank you, Lord, for where you've brought us from. Thank you, Lord, for trusting us. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us through. I love what C.M. Ward, some of you may know that name, others may not. C.M. Ward was the voice of Revival Time Radio, and there was a time in the late 50s and 60s where you could not go to anywhere on planet Earth where you would not be able to tune in and hear Revival Time and our speaker by the name of C.M. Ward. So C.M. Ward, one day, he said this. He said, be nice to the little guy on his way up, or you're going to meet him on your way down. If you want to succeed in life, the best way, the godly way, the Jesus way is to help someone else accomplish something great in and through their life. You know, I'll never forget the day when my father said to me, now, Jerry, tomorrow, I want you to come down to the garage. I want you to come down to the dealership. It was an automotive dealership that he and his brother had operated for a number of years. And uh, one by one, he would call us down to have the beginning of our, of our, our responsibilities there at the, the garage. So I was only probably 11 or 12 years of age, and my father said, come on down. Um, I'm going to start you with a job. And uh, the first day on the job, I quickly realized I did not have an office. <laughs> Matter of fact, rather than having an office, I was given a broom. Not only a broom, but a toilet bowl brush and a cart to haul garbage. You see, my father started all 10 of us boys out with the same routine. From there, he moved us over to the grease rack. And the grease rack, for some of you that may not be familiar with that term, it was, it's the place where oil changes take place. It is where, at least during that time, there's a lot of what they call zerts, and you had to, to grease, you know, many of the couplings and so on, automobiles. Today, many of that's all in a closed system. You don't have to do that. But nonetheless, it was a messy job. It was a dirty job. And he said, that's where you'll go next, after the broom. And then from the oil rack or the grease rack, he would send us over to undercoating. Now, undercoating, you know, today, if you buy an automobile, most all automobiles today have some kind of a coating on the steel to help it to keep from rusting. But at that time, it was an accessory, one that was dealer added. And so it was spraying like a tar-like material all under the body of the vehicle. And when you were done, you were an absolute mess. You would place, you know, some kind of a Vaseline over your face and ears and any skin that would be, you know, exposed because that undercoating would stick to it worse than glue. And we would stay there until we liked it. And then he would say, now you're ready to go over to the paint shop. And from the paint shop, the automotive repair side, 
he would take us then to the parts department and from the parts department over to sales. You see, my father did not want anyone in an office who did not understand what was going on in the shop. He wanted us later on in life when we did go to offices. He wanted us to understand what the person was doing at the grease rack. He wanted us to understand what it was like to be undercoating and to go through all the various roles and responsibilities. And so in all of these places, there was an understanding. When I came to what was Oak Creek Assembly of God at that time, now Discover Church, 44 years ago will be in May. And when I first came, my wife was the secretary. She was also the custodian. She cleaned the toilets. I mowed grass, plowed snow, shoveled sidewalks. I was the one that had the youth over in my home. I was the one that had all the singles come to our home. Of course, the church was very small. But I went through all of those areas of departments. It was like deja vu. I remember how this stick goes. <laughs> I've been there before. But there's not a role that goes on in this church body any longer that I haven't an appreciation for the person that's doing it because of the process. My father simply did not want anyone complaining. And the more you complained, the longer you stayed in that place you did not want to be. Friends, let me encourage you this morning that Jesus is preparing his church to reign and to rule with him. And one day Jesus is going to return to earth in power and in great glory, the Bible says. And he's going to rule the nations, the Bible tells us, with a rod of iron. There will be no arguing. There will be no running from responsibility. He will say it and it will be done in every nation, every city, every town, in every village is going to be governed by the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why we pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we hear the nightly news and see the mass murderers go on, now it's on a weekly basis, if not daily. And we see the careless loss of life and all that's going on round about, our prayer, I believe, becomes more intense, doesn't it, church? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, there's no disobedience. In heaven, there's no running from responsibility. There's no arguing about what should be done or needs to be done. The Lord Jesus Christ and his redeemed, that's you and me and the redeemed of all time that have been trained and tested as servant leaders are going to reign and rule with him. Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15, I love the way this reads. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. And some of you have heard this before, but if you read it in the original Greek, it goes on repetitively forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. 
And when you're all done saying ever, there's another ever. That's where Isaiah 32, 1 comes in. Look, a righteous king is coming. Notice, a righteous king. A king that does not work for his own benefit. A king that does all things right and above board. The word righteous simply means right living, right doing, right being. There's a righteous king coming. And honest princes will rule under him. When times get tough, let me encourage you this morning, don't throw in the towel. It might be a crucial part of the training for reigning. I read an article just yesterday about Queen Elizabeth's training program, which she designed for Prince William, preparing him so that one day he might ascend to the throne in the United Kingdom and be their king following Charles. Queen Elizabeth began this training of Prince William while he was just a very young lad. Most of this training was one-on-one, and it took place on Sundays at Windsor Castle after the worship service there. And she would gather with William, and they would have tea and, and cake. It sounds so British, doesn't it, tea and cake? And the queen, Elizabeth, at that time, began pouring her life and what it means to fulfill the kingly roles that one day, very soon, that William would fulfill. These weekly meetings, they went on and on and on for years. And they created a very strong bond between the queen and William. It wasn't until the age of 13 that William formally was enrolled in what is called the royal training studying constitutional law and the many protocols that one must know to be the head of state and represent Great Britain. One generation was pouring into the next generation. That is exactly what Queen Elizabeth had had as well. Her grandfather, King George V, mentored her in the very same way. And when She was on a journey to Africa. And while in Africa, she received word that her father had suddenly died, King George VI. Brokenhearted, but knowing that she had been trained to reign, she was ready for the task, ready for the role. One generation pouring into the next generation. This whole succession is based on relationship, relationship, relationship. And that is why it is so sad when you read to see that there is parts of the royal family that have broken off and don't really get along with others. And I believe the heart of God is broken over the same kind of thing. It's one pouring into the life of the other. Relationship, relationship, relationship. Now until that day of Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9, when we gather around the throne and the scroll is handed to Jesus and he begins to open it up, the deed for title earth, and he says, you're going to go reign with me. 
Until that day, I believe that as trained for leadership, all of us, we should speak up. We must raise up the next generation. And we must be prayed up. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. This mountain shall be removed. This mountain standing before you, Zerubbabel, will become like a plain. What is impossible with you, God can do in a moment. Remember what the Bible says, faith can take a mountain and just cast it in the sea. There is nothing impossible to those that believe. And he's raising us up and sometimes in the whole process of the curriculum of how we're being trained, it can be a hard and difficult time. A lady came to me after the first service this morning. She said, wow, this message is spot on for me today. Trained, prepared, ready, bounced around at the job and all of that. But ultimately, God gave her a promotion that is out of this world. And she is using her influence for the kingdom of God. She's prayed with leaders and people of every, every size of, and shape of job. God's got his hand on your life. He chose you before you ever chose him. He's loved you with an everlasting love. In times when you wandered, he said, come on back, child. I've got a plan for your life. One that's a plan for here, but it's also a plan for eternity. Will you bow your heads with me for a moment? Father, Lord, this morning we're amazed, humbled, that you would have a role for us. Lord, I pray that we'd be faithful, realizing either we use it or we lose it. We get it, Lord, one day we're going to have to stand before you. We're going to have to give an account of what we did while in the body. Whether we buried the talents or whether we used them for the kingdom. Lord, I pray for that one today that feels so unregal. They feel as though they've messed up so bad there's really not much of a hope for their life. They'll never amount to anything. They're like the one that in the story that away into darkness where there's gnashing of teeth, sorrow and regrets forever. But Lord, you're tugging at their heart today and you're saying, I've got a plan for you. I make no junk. I make no one that's useless. They only do that as they surrender to the enemy. And Lord, this morning I pray that we'd understand the call of God for such a time as this, and not only for here and for now, Lord, that we would stand up, we would speak up, that we would raise up the next generation, and we live our lives in relationship. As you sow into our life, we sow into someone else, and they sow into another, and that we train how to be a child of God, 
how to serve you with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. Help us, Lord, not to get discouraged with the brushes, whether it's the toilet cleaning or whether it's the sweeping of the floor, realizing, Lord, all of this is good training for life. And I pray, oh God, your wonderful anointing upon this congregation of people. I ask, oh God, that we'd make a difference. Help us, Lord, to make a difference in our families, a difference in the neighbors that surround our home, a difference at the job. Help us, Lord, I pray, to make a difference, realizing one day we'll stand before you and we want to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Thank you, Lord.